Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to another installment of New Books and Poetry's month-long celebration of the chapbook, Chapbook of Palooza. I am your host, Jen Fitzgerald. July Westhale is a poet and essayist living in Oakland, California. She's the author of the chapbook, The Cavalcade, Finishing Line Press, and has poems in Cimarron, Cahootaloodling, Burnt District, and Quarterly West, among others. Her essays have appeared in the Huffington Post, Autostraddle, The Establishment, and elsewhere. She has been awarded grants and residencies from the Vermont Studio Center, Sewanee, Dickinson House, Tin House, and Breadloaf. You can visit her at www.julywesthale.com. Welcome, July. Thanks, Jen. So let's start this interview off with a poem. Would you please read The Dirty War on page 15? Sure thing. The Dirty War. Buenos Aires, Argentina, 1976. Evenings we danced the wooden room down to splinters, last jar of bathtub wine. Dancing, we drink it in Santelmo's pixelated throat, all saints alive and stretching themselves over cab drivers, drunks, and travelers. We make air for ourselves by exhaling to ash and birch. The body bows a faint over Plaza de Mayo, Mothers of disappeared boys, soldiers in hollow, take my arms. The grass feigns malonga. We dance. Evenings we dance open doors of men, writing plays of Lady Eva, stars still bubbling in hinted tingo joints under stairs. We dance you, puppeting and pulling strangers from kiosks of empanadas. The gentle movement of groins in resentful sink is enough to make a city weep. Corpus Christi flocks today in a head of triangular birds, and now the air is full of wet paper. We dance. Evenings we drink to you from balconies littered in utility bills. Love gained, danced, drunk, vomited before mid-morning. We dance cigars into molting slag, into timepieces for conversation, into pity. Sir Driver, you used to be a saint. We dance for you. For the lights refusing their green, the mothers refusing communion, the plaza refusing new fountains until old boys bloom, emerging from women's embroidered scarves. Thank you very much. Um, One of the exciting things for me about this chapbook is how it takes narrative turns and brings together disparate content. What would you say is the thread that runs through the center of the collection, if there is one? You know, that's a great question. Um, I think that the the chapbook talks a lot about history and historical figures and how we reclaim them as our own. Uh, we fictionalize them, we personalize them, we project ourselves onto them. So throughout the, the chapbook, there are narratives of Virginia Woolf, but of course they're highly fictionalized. And the primary speaker in the poems is constantly projecting themselves into 
these historical events or these historical characters. Now, are these historical events um, for the speaker ones where they feel that they are already present or they feel that their voice is missing or lacking? I think, I think not really either. I think it's more significant events that, you know, the speakers projecting themselves into because I think that we have a tendency when we read literature or when we witness historical events or read about historical events to try to empathize with what the main players were going through. Mm. And, you know, the the events and characters in this particular manuscript are, are ones that are poignant to me personally. But I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily imagining myself there or, or retrospectively kind of inserting my voice, but more the interplay that happens between the personal and the, the global or the historic. That's really interesting. I don't know if I've ever seen another collection um, do that in this way. Um, so let's hear another poem. Would you please read Alternative Bedtime Story on page 10? Sure. Alternative bedtime story. She opens her mouth. In this story, the child makes a house out of a box, a river from a pile of dead leaves, a companion from a cloud formation, and a self of shifting ponds. Her parents are lost in the fog on a train somewhere in the mountains, and when she sleeps, she slumbers well. There is a word for adopted children. They are called fawns. The woods are full of them, and their biggest adversary is the night and the owls who call to mice as they shrink away, and large sequoias who light themselves on sacrifice. In a story, she dreams at home in a bed. A child makes a home in a soft trunk in a clearing of sword ferns. It is full of fat worms and sleeping possums, and the stars are stored away somewhere, spinning and sparking against each other. And when they die, she knows nothing of it. Thank you very much. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your process, how you bring a poem from draft to completion, if a poem is ever truly complete? (laughs) Um, That's that's a great statement, if a (laughs) poem is ever truly complete, Um, especially for the perfectionists among us, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that it never really is. You know, I had the fortune of getting to work with Jean Valentine last year, and she said something I found extremely accurate and stark, which is that writing is 98% unconscious. This is part of the reason why we suddenly can write something and it's whole. It may not be complete, but it's there. There's a there there. And I think that's true. And I wouldn't say that, you know, I think writing is, is a discipline and you... Mary Oliver says you have to keep showing up or poetry will stop showing up for you. It's, it's like a um, romance or a date in that way. Mm-hmm. And you just keep sitting down and showing up and hoping that whatever is happening unconsciously, whatever's on the back burner, decides to show itself. And sometimes it does. Um, <laughs> and sometimes it, it takes a lot more work to get there. So 
I, um, I ascribe to the, the, you know, prolific journaling every day and trying to show up at the same time. Um, if not every day, as often as I can. That sounds like some pretty solid advice, especially for those just starting out, um, is that you do have to show up for the page. Love it. Um, so we have time for one last poem. Would you please read what I consider to be one of the most lyrically stunning pieces in this collection, Chopin's Funeral March on page 16? Sure, and thank you. Um, okay, Chopin's Funeral March. Grandmother's mouth vowels the air. The mother is not underwater, but under soil. No one surfaces from under stones, but the mother's daughter, an heir to the living poke grass and fresh dirt. Not underwater, but under soil. No one surfaces except through hymns, and the day takes back the living poke grass and fresh dirt. Sleep croons a peaty and unpleasant note, and except through hymns, when the day takes back the phone, as it did what it was asked, dialing nine, one, 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 one. Sleep croons a peaty and unpleasant note, like a moth the granddaughter swallowed, knowing nothing. The mother has no point of view. She's dead. The grandmother's mouth bowels the air, above a mother cold in January rain, cold in her bed, under stones and the mother's daughter and heir. Thank you, July. Um, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your time and your work with us. Thank you for having me. It was really a pleasure. This has been Jen Fitzgerald with New Books and Poetry, reminding you to support all the arts, but especially poetry. Poetry.